Looking to provide your school or organization with high-quality audio products at affordable prices? Andreas Communications specializes in designing microphones, headsets, USB adapters, webcams, and more to ensure online reliable communication. Their EDU series of products are built to withstand the rigors of classroom usage. Andreas Communication partners with iTutor to provide an exclusive discount for Learning Can't Wait listeners of 40% off their noise-canceling headsets. Head to https colon forward slash forward slash andreacommunications.com forward slash itutor forward slash today to access this limited offer. IPVO is making online learning simple for educators and students alike. Their affordable and lightweight document cameras let teachers simply plug and play to share anything homework, live demos, PowerPoints, videos, and more from anywhere. Compatible with any device, teachers can make the most of their document cameras with creative filters, time lapses, stop motion, and more through IPVO's free software, Visualizer. IPVO and iTutor have partnered to provide a 20% discount to all Learning Can't Wait listeners. Visit IPVO.com forward slash iTutor to upgrade your technology today. Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, an iTutor production. At iTutor, our vision is to ensure every child has access to education, regardless of circumstance. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space, who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spierbauer. Welcome back, everybody, to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Sheldon Aikens, the host of the Leading Equity podcast and the founder of Leading Equity Center and the ands keep going, the and, the published author of Leading Equity. I am so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Haley. This is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to this. So thank you again. It's always a little daunting to have podcast hosts on my podcast because you you kind of get the cadence in a way that makes the conversation really quick. But I'm, I'm going to keep up today. I know I can do it. Oh, no, you got this. I, I, just, <laughs> I like being on the other side of the microphone. So this is well, just you relax a, a little. For me. Your shoulders yeah. like kind of. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't have to take notes and like really hone in on certain things and think about what is my audience? What will my audience think? So like, I'm just, I'm here. Like, yeah. I'll do all the thinking today on that. I'll do that type of thinking today. So why don't you start us off and tell us how did you become the personal and professional version of yourself? Oh my gosh, that's great. So full disclaimer. So here, I'm a black man living in Idaho. And so uh, th- we'll start there. And and just the idea of, you know, <laughs> when I was applying for jobs, looking for work, uh, I, I, I put in an application for Idaho State University, not thinking anything of it. It was like one of another hundred or so apps that I was putting in. I was like, I'm not moving to Idaho because there's no black people out here. And I you know, just put it in just for kicks. See what happens. See what happens. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And so seven years later, uh, I'm still here. And, and that's kind of re- what really got me going into the whole 
podcasting, entrepreneur, and all that, you know, I fell into all of that stuff. It was just like, I was just dealing with a lot of things when I first moved here, just stuff I had never seen, never experienced. And I didn't know how to necessarily navigate myself. And I got two kids and like, they're coming home telling me, daddy, this is, this is what happened. This is what my classmate said. And then in, in my professional position as uh, I was working for a program called Trio. So I would go to high schools and I would work with the kids there and they would tell me stuff. And I just didn't know how to help anybody, except, you know, let alone myself. And so I just really just started podcasting, just, you know, reaching out to people that I was reading articles on and wrote the articles. And I just said, can we talk? Can we, can I do an interview with you? And I wanted to be able to share that stuff out with everybody else. And fast forward, people started emailing me, asking me, hey, Sheldon, can you, can you do a speech to my community? Can you talk to my teachers? Can you talk to my principals? Because I have this this professional experience. Like I, I've been a teacher. I spent seven years in a classroom as a history teacher. I spent one year as a second grade teacher. I can't do elementary. I, I, I know that is not for me. It's so different. Much, <laughs> it's different. Much respect. Much yeah. respect for all my elementary folks. I can't do it. Um, and then I spent time as a school principal and then even um, as a, a special education director. So I had all this experience and background and it just really brought me to the place where I'm at these days. So I really enjoy what I do. And I really like meeting people. But the more and more that I've been visiting classrooms, sometimes I will say, man, I kind of miss the kids in that sense, too. I, I kind of miss that classroom vibe as well. I can empathize with that. Yeah, I totally can. Uh, it's what having kids thankfully allows me to get some of that like sparking curiosity and learning how to handle conflicts that I loved about the classroom. But I, I absolutely empathize with that. So, you know, it's really interesting because you and I talked a little bit about your book and your background before this podcast was being recorded. And one topic that I really honed in on from your book and, you know, part of the ideas that you espouse in your speaking and your podcast is modeling vulnerability and humility. And you did it just now. You have well over a decade experience teaching and leading schools. And yet you still felt like you were not equipped enough with the information people needed that you created a podcast. Like that is the definition of humility that you, someone who very well could have been considered an expert, sought so many other people in your podcast to help you learn and inform your audience about a variety of topics. You know, what's crazy is even with a PhD, I, I try to tell people, I'm like, look, I don't know everything. And and there's just going to be a lot of things that I can never relate to. However, I can do my best to try to empathize. Even to this day, I've been podcasting for four and a half years. I've been training for a very long time. I, I do diversity, equity, inclusion work. I do the stuff for a living. It's what I do. However, when people say, Sheldon, you're the expert and you're the diversity or you're the equity expert, I say no. I literally just try to stay at least a chapter ahead because there is just so much out there. I mean, terminology changes. One moment we're saying pronouns, next moment we're not saying pronouns. One moment we're we're dealing with this issue. I mean, we got all kind of stuff happening on the national and like from our, our curriculum being, I don't know, assessed, to put it lightly, uh, from school shootings to other challenges that trans laws and like all these different things that are taking place. And there's no way, there's absolutely no way that I can, I can know everything and just be able to speak to all of these things. That's why I really appreciate the opportunities that I get to, you know, when I'm on the other side of the microphone, I get to meet great 
and like established folks that are doing this work. This is their focus, this is their research, this is their specialty. I get to ask those questions and I get to learn because at the end of the day, all I can do is just try to stay a chapter ahead. I love that. And we'll come, I want to come back to this, you know, specific focus you have around modeling vulnerability and humility, which you're doing so well right now. And I want to talk about your podcast for a minute because when I am really struck with is not the volume, right? Like, yeah, you've done this four and a half years. You have hundreds of episodes <laughs> on your site, but I'm really struck with how diverse the topics are and how, like I went to your website before I met you and I thought to myself, I could listen to 30 of these right now at a minimum and make myself better at my job today. You know, like I felt really like th- these are really bite-sized chunks of important topics. It make it like I really love the way you format. How do you pick what you focus on, or does the guest pick what you focus on in each episode? That is a great question. Because if you had asked me that two years ago, I would have given you a different answer. Well, what would you have said then? And what would you say now? Okay. All right. So so when I first started. I was like, I didn't have a show show, you know, I was like, I was trying to get off the ground. And so I, I went to a session four and a half years ago at a national principles conference in Chicago. And I, I was just looking for different places to go to. And I was like, okay, where do I want to go. And I just saw something that said podcasting one-on-one. So I walked in that room and I mean, there was three gentlemen, Danny Bauer was there. Uh, uh, Will Parker was there, Jethro Jones, all of them have their own shows. And most of them are on, I think all three of them are on principle and leadership uh, context. And so they literally broke it down. This is how you do a podcast. This is how it works. This is the equipment you need. And they interviewed someone right then. And then they posted and published. And I saw that. I said, you know what? This really isn't that hard to do. I mean, it's work, but it's not crazy. It's not as bad as I thought it was. And as a avid listener at the time, I, I used to complain in my head. I was like, dude, all I hear is how to be a better teacher and how to be a better principal. And I definitely wasn't hearing any host of color, let alone host or a lot of the guests I wasn't hearing of color. And I said, I can sit here and complain, or I can try to create my own show and, and put my own voice out there and, and try to represent as much as I can. And so when I first started, I would find an article or I just come across somebody's work and I reach out to them and say, Hey, uh, can you jump on my show? But at, at that time, I just wasn't really established again, just getting started. And so it was like, whenever they were available, I was available. It could be a Saturday morning. It could be 10 AM. It could be 10 at night. It could be 4 AM. Didn't matter. I would just jump on, which it caused issues with my kids and like family stuff. Cause I, I'm jumping on at any time. Fast forward two years now, like I'm ranked pretty high within the podcast rankings. So now, I, honestly, I don't really have to reach out to people as much. I, I get probably two or three pitches a week from some publicist, some media, somebody that or somebody has a new book or somebody has a topic. So it, now I can actually vet various uh, potential guests these days. And I, and I set it up. I say, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays from this time to this time. This is when I'm available. This is when I do my my podcast interviews. So I'm in a different place than I was years ago. I'm just thankful that I I, I kept up with it because I know a lot of people, they'll start a show and it kind of falls off or there's, you know, they they post whenever they post. Uh, My goal was always, I'm going to come out every Monday. And I've been trying to do that every, I've missed a couple. 
But for the most part, I come out every single Monday for the last four and a half years. And if you want to check out this podcast, which I highly recommend you do, you go to learningequitycenter.com slash podcast and you can find we're up to three, oh, 292, 292, 292 yeah. very close to 300, uh, but still 292 is a very impressive. So let's talk about, I mean, again, I, I really am focused on this theme from your book on vulnerability and humility. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously a lot of your guests, when they come on your podcast and we're talking about school leadership here, there's a huge amount of vulnerability and humility required. How do you set yourself up? to teach people how to be vulnerable and how to be humble. Like how does, that's, that's like a, it seems personal. How do you, how do you get people to get to a place of comfort in leading that way? Well, here's, here's the thing. So like folks that listen to a show, like they just hear the 30, 45 minutes that was recorded. So for me, I, 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 I'll talk to a guest, like, especially if it's my first time meeting them. And you could, you know, again, from doing this, you can kind of tell someone's a little nervous. I might even ask, hey, how are you feeling? Are you a little nervous? Is this your first podcast? You know, those are the kind of questions I'll ask. And my goal, and I always say this to them, I say, look, my goal is I'm going to pitch you something and you're going to knock it out the park. And I said, look, I got you. You're going to shine. You're the star of the show. I'm just the voice that facilitates this, but you're going to be the star of the show. And once I start saying stuff like that, I've noticed that people's demeanor starts to change. You can see that level of comfort starts to come out because I've had folks that'll tell me, oh, I'm really nervous. Right. Sure. You know, professors sure. love to talk. Uh, I, I've learned that people love to talk about their research, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can articulate it. like they can type it up. But to try to explain it sometimes within a short period of time um, sometimes can be difficult depending on the individual. So my job is as a podcast host is to bring that level of comfort because, yeah, you'll get some folks that will be very vulnerable to you and say, look, I'm really nervous. Uh, uh, And I tell them, look, honestly, I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of edits. And so the ums, the you knows, the likes. All of that's going to stay in here. It's part of it. It's part of it. It's the organic feel, the vibe. Uh, I don't give questions ahead of time. I used to do that early on. I used to send them questions, but I really wasn't listening to them for real, for real. I was just waiting on them to finish talking. And then I would would ask them the next question. But now I, I like... The style that it is now is just more on the, the the conversation, and I try to make it as organic as possible. Honestly, I've had some people on my show that I was looking at, I was nervous because maybe I looked up to them. And I was like, man, I've always wanted to have this individual on my show, and now it's it's on me to to podcast this <laughs> to, to do the <laughs> interview. And, and there's and there's like I'm nervous, and I'll and and I'm trying not to fan out like all these different types of things. I, I got to try to play it cool. But yeah, just building up that rapport before you hit record, I think is very important if you really want to have a good interview. I love that. And, you know, I want to pivot a little bit and bring that topic of vulnerability and humility into school. So, you know, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about teachers, but we're also talking about students here. So how do you view the idea of, or the importance of vulnerability, it's tough to say that one, vulnerability (laughs) and humility in schools? How do leaders who are effective model that for their staff? And how do teachers who are effective model that for their students? Uh, You know, I talk about in my book, you know, while I was writing this book. So 
I was going through a divorce and it wasn't like the your, your typical like, OK, we agree here and there. It was rough. Like it was a lot. You know, we got kids involved and I'm in a community property state. So there's all these different variables that are there. Yet I was still working at the school and I still had to show up every single day and try to put a smile on my face, even though I had all these different challenges that I had. And and one of the things I noticed is like my kids could tell, like, I, I don't have a really good poker face. Like if I'm yeah. down, you know, I'm down. Like if I'm mad, you know, I'm mad if I'm happy. Yeah. Like I'm very like it's I'm one of those kind of individuals. So like kids will come up to me and I ask, hey, hey, Sheldon, are you, are you good, man? Like, bro, you, you you're hella quiet today. You're not your normal jokey person like this. I don't see you dancing. You know, we're not doing our little daps or, or like a little inside jokes. None of that stuff's happening. Are you OK? Now, typically, typically, I would say. And, and one of the things I have I have learned from working on a reservation on a cultural side of things, usually when I would ask someone on the reservation, I ask one of our indigenous community members, I say, hey, how are you doing? It's not your typical. Oh, I'm good. You know how like on a like. Our culture, we would just say, oh, yeah, I'm good. But in their culture is often, no, I'm I'm actually feeling down or this is. So I've kind of just started learning that and kind of took that on as well. So when I was there and kids would ask me, how am I? And I would say, listen, I got court today. Uh, that's why I'm dressed up in a suit. I know you, you know, you're not used to seeing a brother in a suit like this, but today is that day that I got to go in there and I got to deal with some custody stuff or I got to deal with this or I got to deal with that. And and they would, can you, you want to talk about it? Ah. So at the same, so, and I would share, and I could share to a certain extent. I'm not, I'm not going on my life struggles, blah, 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 but I'm, I'm at least opening up the door and saying, look, I am a human being. Sometimes as kids, we look up to those adults and we think they're, you know, Superman or Superwoman, mm-hmm. right? We think these kind of things. Uh, and, and then they start to learn. I, I know a lot of kids, little kids will think, Teachers live at the school. Like this is I where they live. I was going to say, I remember right? thinking that. She slept in the closet. There was yeah. a pillow. I saw the pillow. It's always there. Yes, of course. So when we start as adults and when we start to share and open up and, and talk to our students, say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm dealing with pandemic stuff. I'm dealing with financial right. stuff. I'm dealing with this. I have mental health, whatever. They ask, you know, where were you at yesterday? You know what? I took a mental health day. I needed to. You know, I, I was sick. Or I wasn't really sick, but my kid was sick. Like, there's all these different things that we can share. Because at the same time, like, I see so many teachers asking students to open up and write in your journal. Tell us about your deep, darkest fears and all these things that they're putting in these journal prompts. But we're not doing these same things ourselves. Sure, sure. So how can we ask? How can we ask them? Right. 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 So I'm just one of those people I've learned. Again, I'm not perfect. This is some things that I have learned within the last few years, just trying to stay a chapter ahead about the importance of just being okay with telling your students that you're not okay. We're we're human beings at the end of the day. You know, it's so powerful to hear one, the origin of how you started to open up more with your students, having worked in an indigenous community and you were seeing the effect of you being able to ask others and them candidly sharing how they felt. That's like such an authentic way to recognize a change you want in yourself. I also really appreciate you calling out how so many teachers expect so much of kids. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about high school Mm -hmm. and I've been thinking about my experience, elementary and, and middle school. But I've been thinking a lot about high school when you're really close to adulthood, your brain is really developed, but you still don't have the same privileges and uh, allowances in society. So you're kind of in an in-between state. And 
I'm thinking about how modeling for children the realness of your own life mm-hmm. allows them to understand the humanity before them and around them, making it so that they can navigate the spaces and places they're in. And it connects to me for a comment you made at the top of the, right before we put put on the record button on this podcast about centering students. Yeah. My question for you is, what impact have you seen this had as a teacher in the classroom? And now, as you do more work around schools and supporting leaders and teachers, how have you seen this particular mindset transform the ability to center students and really have them be their authentic selves in the classroom? I I think when it comes to doing equity work, I I see, you know, again, I work with a lot of teachers. I work with a lot of principals. I work with counselors. I work with adults, the staff at the school or at the district. And guess who's not in those workshops? Guess who's not in those equity audits? Guess who's not in those walkthroughs or like, the kids, the kids right. aren't there. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, they're not in those the spaces. The end user, the ultimate stakeholder. At the end of the day, and and it's and I'm I'm not I'm not saying this to to blame or any of those kind of. That's not my approach. But one of the things that I have always said is just because I provide a professional development, does not mean that a student's experience is going to change. Kids are smart enough to know. Oh, there's no adults around. We're going to tease this child uh, on the lunch at, at the lunchroom in the in the hallways in the the playgrounds. Like kids do these things, and when we try to create new policies, discipline, uh, dress codes, uh, even curriculum and instruction, hiring. You know how many times I've had conversations with principals and say, "Do you have students on your hiring panels?" And they say, "No." Oh. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Let me guess. They're like, that's a great idea. I don't know why I didn't think about it, but I'm like, they're going to be in the classroom. I remember when I was, when I was a principal and I had potential, potential candidates, part of the interview process was to go to the classroom that, you know, if we had a sub in there that was kind of holding place, or if we knew the teacher was going to move on or whatnot, I would take the kid, the, the candidates, or I would even try to schedule it during a recess time or during lunchtime and see how that potential candidate would interact with that group of kids, right? So I would have some candidates, they would walk up and they would just only talk to me. They might look or I can see that they're observing, but they won't interact with the kids at all. And then I would have other folks that would actually maybe jump on the swings with the kids or because, you know, little kids, especially they'll they'll see who's this. Who's that, Mr. You know, who's that with you? Why are you here? (laughs) They'll run up to you. You got some really friendly folks that will run up to you. And if if I looked and I saw that the teachers weren't interacting with the kids at all, there was automatic red flag for me. Because I really have, I think it's so important if we are talking about school and we're talking about who's the school for, because it's not for us, right? It's not for paychecks. It is to impact, positively impact our kids. And if we don't have our kids involved in those committees, those spaces, they don't have a voice. There's no student leadership programs or or committees or any of those type of things where students have an opportunity to share and 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 there's not a, a space where they can feel free and invited to speak to their teachers, administration, or whatever staff member it is, that's a problem. And that's, that is the work that I have been really trying to focus on more. 
I will name that they're also to build that you can't just invite children into these spaces and expect them to do it. You have to create psychological safety oh, yeah. for them as well. And yeah. I think that what you're talking about is like, you know, you do, I, I'd love for you to expand a little bit upon, upon okay. the process you go through your equity audit and all of that. I appreciate the naming of how do people interact with kids? How do they treat kids? It, you can't just have a principal say like, oh, suddenly we're going to ask kids to share openly. Like as you've named previously, we expect mm -hmm. a lot of children and we need to yeah. create, you know, the community and the environment that allows them to do that comfortably. So, so can you talk us through, uh, for those that are unfamiliar with your process, what the equity audit is and how it's received? Like, you know, our, yeah, it's, these, these bring up a lot of feelings for people like, you know, equity audits, I imagine would bring up a lot of feelings for people. Here's the thing, you know, so when let's say a principal or district folks reach out to me and say, hey, listen, we, we recognize or we've had a student um, created an Instagram page, you know, our school challenges and it's it's out there like social media is popping and we're we're under fire or whatever right so folks will reach out to me sometimes at the like when it's too late almost like, the 11th like hour, yeah. reactionary type of but uh, hey listen at least the work is going to happen at least the work sure. is getting done and and so we're but then you'll have a lot of teachers or you'll have staff members that will say not our school that's that's not the experience no that's that's stuff you see on the on the on the uh news stations that's that's not here those are in those big cities, not in our rural town, right? No, all our kids are, we're predominantly white. So uh, we don't have any issues, like as, right. as if. Nothing arises, as, right, exactly. <laughs> because we don't talk about it. It's not no. occurring. It doesn't, it's not a thought yeah. in anybody's brain. And our few black kids, oh, they're good. There's no race. There's none of these things. So I say, all right, well, let's, 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 let's just find out if that is sure. the case. Because, you know, that's our interpretation is how we view the world. And it's how, you know, again, it's our just because someone doesn't come up to you and say, hey, I'm having this issue. I'm having this challenge doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. We, there's a lot of factors there You may not have a welcoming environment in which kids feel comfortable. I know so many times kids will walk around the their their school and their name is Johnny and everybody's been calling them Richard. And we're like, wait, why didn't you tell us that your name was actually Richard? It's, and we blame the kids like it's your sure, fault sure. that you never right. told us. Right. So I say if we're going to do an audit and it's, it's seven sections, it starts with your mission, vision, beliefs. There's leadership uh, in that section or in those sections. There's there's discipline, there's communication, there's feedback, there's professional development. So it's built built on seven different um, pillars, if you will. And I say I want kids involved in this equity audit because your take and your experience might be different than what they're experiencing. And they're living this experience. People always talk about the real world. And I say the real world is their classroom. This is what they're dealing with right now. This is their real world. Now, often our kids have two worlds. They got the world at home and then they got your world, the world at school, because they don't always get the opportunities to be themselves in both spaces. So let's involve our, our students in this equity audit. If you can get some parents, I'm even happier. But minimum, minimum, get your students involved. Uh, select a few leaders. Don't get your, you know, most popular folks. You know, get some folks that you can have some diversity and representation when it comes to students. But we don't want to other. We don't want to tokenize, right? But this is very important. And then we go through the audit. It's usually it, it takes it takes time. Like it might take a couple of days to go through it. It might take a few hours. Uh, I often ask, can I do some walkthroughs? Can I look through your your classroom and watch, observe, and take some notes and provide some feedback? And so then after we go through the audit. 
Then I put a report together and then we start looking at, okay, what are some things that we could do tomorrow? Maybe it's just some tweaks on our website. Maybe it's just making sure, I mean, we got chat GPT right now, which is really great for uh, translation because people tell, oh, you know, we got 20 different languages represented in our school. All of them. Yeah. Chat GPT, pop that in, put that right. Rewrite this in Mandarin, rewrite this, you know, so we, we have those opportunities available now, but those are simple tweaks that we can start doing tomorrow. Okay, well, now let's look at some other challenges here. What are some things that are going to take a little bit longer? Maybe it takes a year. Maybe it takes six months. And then what are some things in our three to five-year plan? What are some things that we can really focus on that's not going to happen overnight, not going to happen within a year, but we are focused on working towards this goal? That's what I love to start with because people will tell me we don't have an issue or we don't know what issues we have. And I say, let's find those things out. I'm thinking of some really high profile, uh, not not done by you that I know of, some equity audits in some private schools in New York City over the past mm-hmm. couple of years that made headlines a few times over. And the pervasive dialogue was, we, we don't have an issue. Like our yeah. actual our diversity is very mm-hmm. high. Our numbers, mm-hmm. we our numbers are so great. And it's like, oh, yeah. oh, well, actually, it's more than just in New York City. It's more than just diversity, right? Like it's more than just what type of representation from different cultural, ethnic, racial groups that you have in your building, how are you handling? How are you communicating? How are you? All the things. I I, I wish every school could have an equity audit and implementation. Yeah. How many schools have you worked with so far? Oh, several. Uh, and not just, not even just schools. Sometimes I work with districts. I've even worked with nonprofits as well. Uh, I was just with the juvenile justice department out in Oregon, uh, one of the counties out there. So I, I, it's um, I haven't worked in the the pro- for-profit area yet, which I'm open to that. But mainly schools, higher ed. I've done I've done some colleges as well. So it's just really just depends. But again, I think that's where you really need to start, uh, because again, how, how do you know where you're going to go if you don't have a map? So that's just my take. Yeah, yeah, I'm processing a little bit. about the unique like way you approach it 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 would probably be very different for for schools versus k-12 versus yeah it's not the same yeah yeah well and my my background is all k-12 so i'm looking i'm looking at this through the lens of k-12 and i'm actually imagining sheldon how it would look had you come to some of the places i worked as i'm sure like the folks listening in are doing also like what would this how well would we have done in certain aspects and that's part of it is like getting people to think and realize like, where am I doing well and right by all my students and community members? And where am I not? And what do I need to fix? But some folks you know, get afraid. They, they get, they, they're, they're fearful. They don't want to know what the results are. Right. Well, Wait, I, I, I'm going to call out that a lot of folks, um, especially white folks don't always recognize their privilege yeah. and they don't recognize where they are in their own development journey. Um, I remember one of the, the most important formative trainings I had in my own experience of DEI work in schools was around the mm-hmm. idea that there is no arrival. Mm-hmm. Everybody is continuing to work on this. And that sort of unlocked, I think for me, it was really early in my journey, I will be mm-hmm. candid. It unlocked for me the fear that like I had to arrive at the final line and know every, like it arrived at this idea that like I will continually be learning for the rest of my life. So I'm not a big fan of certification programs because of that. Like, you know, I know certain schools or institutions will have 
you know, equity and justice certification program. And, and I, I don't, I don't think that you, like, I don't think I have arrived. That's what I'm saying. I'm on a journey. We're all right. on a journey. Right. Uh, people have asked me, Hey, can you give us a certification program? And I was like, I don't do certification programs. I don't do checklists because I don't believe it, we're not baking a cake. You know, I, I can get the ingredients to make a cake. I know, you know, do this, you know, preheat your oven, uh, get your mixer bowl, do this, do this, do this, boom, voila, you got a cake. I, I don't believe that that applies in these types of situations. It's a continuum, it's a journey. So I've never really been a fan of certification programs. No disrespect to any any folks that do have those certifications. We're not denigrating anybody or anything here, but I, no, but I'm- That's just how like, I feel. I, but I, I really resonate, that resonates with me. It really does. And it also is a call to action for me. Mm-hmm. Like as I, when I heard that the first time I was like, oh shoot, like there's no stopping. That's great. I, I am a lifelong learner. It's yeah. one of the reasons I love teaching because I believe that you can always be learning something new. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really felt like a call to action. Like, oh, the work is ongoing and continuous forever. But I think that a lot of, you said, a lot of people are scared. I think especially with white fragility, a lot of folks are mm-hmm. not really re- re- willing to do the introspection they need to do and the study. It, it can be daunting, but imagine more how much more daunting it is for the marginalized student or teacher in your community who is being mistreated by either knowingly or unknowingly. So not really yeah. a great excuse. Well, a lot of folks are afraid of a black man with an Afro coming to to talk to them and and, and call them out. They feel like I'm, you know, because sometimes diversity, equity, inclusion um, training gets a bad rep because, you know, people leave. And again, the whole people want to pass laws and stuff because, oh, you made us feel bad or, or that, you know, we hate America or America's this and that. I mean, these things happen. But that's just not the type of training that I give. My training is to be very thought provoking because you have a lot of people who have lived a life in which these conversations never came up. Uh, they never really had to pay attention to them. It's, it's not something they can personally identify with. And so my goal is to present some facts, to present some stories that will really jog, like make you think, oh, I, I didn't recognize that could happen, but it makes a lot of sense. What can I do? What 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 are some some things that I've been doing that I can change? And again, it's not blaming anybody, but it's just more of, oh, thought-provoking, eye-opening, didn't know that. Okay, now I'm on board. I, I want to know where I can do, you know, it's not too late, those kind of things. But sometimes people get fearful. And like you said, that fragility pops out. And honestly, honestly, there's a lot of folks that rather listen to someone that looks like them before they listen, they listen to somebody that looks like me. I'm like letting that sit there for a minute. <laughs> Let it sit there for a second. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, and it takes, it takes a lot of vulnerability to just get in the space where bringing it back to like our original topic here. It takes a lot mm-hmm. of vulnerability to get in the space where you're willing to examine your weaknesses and examine where you've gone wrong and admit your mistakes. And, but it is not really, I mean, I, you gotta be open-minded. You gotta be yeah, open to yeah. it. Some folks come in already. Oh, diversity training. Uh, oh, mandatory. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be here. Right. And so some people come in with that mindset. And, and one of the things I have to, I have had to accept at the end of the day as a trainer, you know, if I'm only with you for an hour, 90 minutes, half day, whatever it is, whatever I'm, I'm, I'm working with you for, I have me personally, I have to be okay that there's going to be some folks that no matter what I say, no matter what I do, they are not going to be on board. I used to come into training thinking, oh, I'm going to change everybody's life. And I realized over time, it's like, you know what? I mean, you could you can give them 
sats. You can give them this. You can give them that. You can you can even have stuff written by uh, by their cousin, and yeah. they just won't change. Like right. they just they just automatically come in with that closed mindset. And my goal here is just like so. I I try to give the the whole you know listen. I really want y'all to open your mind. It's a brave space, you know. But there's gonna be a few. It may not be a lot, but there might be a handful of folks that it don't matter what you say. It doesn't well, matter what you say. My hope would be that, first of all, in naming that, I, I it again, goes back to that concept of humility, which, again, theme, there's a theme here yeah. um, that I really didn't do on purpose because we didn't do over questions in advance. <laughs> to, your, to your point, I used to do a lot of questions in advance. Yeah. Don't do anymore. Maybe the optimist in me wants to say that they weren't transformed or changed in the time that you spent with them, but Hopefully that was the start of a conversation that led to deeper yeah. introspection yeah. and maybe the community changing around them, mm-hmm. right. Would be enough to also facilitate a person's development because I was just talking to someone about implementation science. I recorded an episode on implementation science and the research to practice gap. And that's essentially what you're naming. You're essentially naming. We know what's good for people, especially people from historically oppressed and marginalized communities And yet people are not necessarily willing to adopt that. Uh, But there are factors which can move the needle for someone who is really stick in the mud about Mm -hmm. change. And perhaps the community around them changing would be one of them. So the optimist in me wants to believe that even if you didn't walk away from those sessions with the change, that the community was able to sway them with your impact. I don't, and and I'm optimistic as well, uh, probably to a fault. Uh, I I do believe in multiple touches. So I believe that sometimes, you know, the principal might be giving a speech on the same topic and they bring me in, I do the speech on the same topic and they still, you know, and then their cousin or or, uh, the colleague or their best friend, or they see something on the news. I got a lot of friends that publicly put on Facebook posts. You know, I, I used to think, that before George Floyd happened, that, you know, if y'all just complied or if you just didn't do the, but now my mind has changed. So sometimes it, it takes an act of tragedy or violence or whatever it is to, to, to bring some more awareness. And then um, those multiple touches or just having those conversations more and more times, sometimes that that's what it takes. So, you know, again, I, I, I try to be optimistic with it as well. Yeah. So I'm I'm really sad to be wrapping up the time that we have on the podcast together, but uh, it's been such a joy hearing you share your expertise and your wisdom on the, a couple of topics while we've been together. The last question I always ask my guests is what advice you would give a teacher starting out their career? And mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what you would share with someone newly in the field uh, right now. Well, what I well, I'm going to start with if if you're just getting started, and and you're really interested, I, I recommend the book, Leading Equity, Becoming an Advocate for All Students. And this this was adopted from a, I saw, I used to have a PDF on basically 10 things that you can do to get started with being an advocate. So here's the thing. When I first started the show, it was all about, you know, you need to, here's some, here's some challenges that are happening within our communities, within, within our schools, disproportionality, school to prison pipelines. Here's all these different things that are happening. And people were okay, Sheldon, we get it. There's this, we, we get, we understand that equity is a, a thing that we need to be focused on, but how, how can I tell my supervisor, my principal uh, that, you know, what you're saying is, is prejudice or, or I, you know, you're using coded language or these stats are negatively. How do I approach these things? And so 
a lot of my episodes towards the end, you know, my later episodes, if you will, are, are more on the steps, how to steps. And so putting all that together. Uh, so if you're, if you're like, you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't remember how much my book costs at this point, but if you're like, I don't have enough to put it in the cart. Uh, however, I recommend check out podcast episodes. I have plenty of them, but if you're really just trying to get started, I always recommend the book first. I love it. I'm glad that you're naming that. I have definitely been a consumer of both the book and the podcast, and I can tell you with certainty that it would be a great first read for someone entering the profession. Dr. Thank, Aiken, you. thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed our time together. And I, I know that our guests listening have absolutely, if not enjoyed and learned, they've, they've done more than that in listening to today's episode. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you liked what you heard please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at itutor.com. Grow your teaching staff with just one click iTutor partners with state licensed teachers from across the U.S. to help schools provide additional instruction to students. Whether you need them part-time or full-time, our educators are standing by to get you started right away. Head to iTutor.com to learn more.